for me, I have a very strong belief that our South African wine industry's future does lie in looking inwards into what we have and we do well, instead of trying to to copy what other guys are doing. Today I'm talking to Pietri de Beer. He's an agricultural economist and a winemaker. Good afternoon, Pietri. It's so lovely to meet you here on Zoom. Thank you very much for having me. It's a great pleasure. So uh, tell me, you are, it's lovely under the trees where you're sitting. Where exactly are you based at the moment? Um, at the moment, I'm harvesting at uh, Bellevue Cellar in Stellenbosch for, for this harvest while I am still busy with my PhD. So I'm waiting for a bit of funding to come through. Oh, is so, okay. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting. Yeah. So while I was waiting, I, I decided to do a so harvest. You, okay. So you are involved in the wine industry and uh, you are a winemaker and, um, uh, but you're also an um, agricultural economist. Is that what you're studying at the moment? Yes, yes. That's what I'm doing my PhD in at the moment. Mm. And so what does that entail? I mean, how how do you link that to the winemaking? Uh, there's actually quite a, a strong linkage that I, uh, I realized once I entered the industry uh, after studying winemaking at the... It sometimes is a bit depressing, but it mostly boils down to money. Yeah. And you realize that quite quickly from the wine side, you you really put a lot of effort into making the wines, but if they're not selling, then there's no profit and the seller can't can't go on. And there is quite a lot of economic challenges being faced by the South African producers. And that slowly started to intrigue me the more I learned. And so at, at first, it, it started out almost as a necessity to learn a new skill to kind of uh, better my understanding of wine business and how it's run, how it works. And that developed into a big curiosity about the wine, how it functions and fits into to our modern society. Well, this is interesting um, because as you now mentioned, you know, it's one thing to make the wine and you can make the best wine and the most wonderful wine, but the problem is you have to sell it. And and, and now you're studying or, or you're also investigating in, in that sense, how what is the best way of selling it? So do you think this is an important aspect of the whole wine industry that you that you have to know this business side of the wine industry? Uh, definitely. I think we do have a bit of a, a late start, considering the South African wine industry was nationalized for a very long time. So those skills were developed later, I think, than our winemaking skills, when we kind of have to privatize and go into the market ourselves and sell these wines. And but uh, on, a, on a broader sense of uh, wine industries around the world, I think we were very focused, very production driven. Uh, and you can see that, especially, I think the French and the kind of old world wine industries are still to a degree, I think, more so than the new world wine industries production focus. So they will make a wine in a certain style, 
and then go and search for a market to sell it in. While the newer wine countries will usually see what the customer demand is and see if they can meet that with certain styles. Because we are working with a, a biological system, we are uh, limited to how we can approach that. So they will sometimes be wine styles or types you are unable to make because of where you are situated. And that's where a big part of marketing, brand building, and then also uh, market identification comes in. So if you know, traditionally, South Africa, one of South Africa's biggest markets is the UK. But if you are not able to make a wine that the UK consumer wants, then you kind of have to delve deeper and look for other markets where you are able to, to sell a wine that you are able to make. But this, does this not um, take away some form of uh, authenticity and, and individuality when you start making for a specific market? So you're losing what you can produce from your vineyard. So, you know, that's authentic to your vineyard. So you have to change the process. I, I think, unfortunately, that is a risk that you run. But... It's kind of that balancing act when you come in with a long-term sustainability, where if you're, if you don't have a market to sell your wines, even if it isn't one that you would personally think is your best type of wines, there won't be a future for you to be able to sell wines that are better or are more suited to, to your area. And I think the we always want to think of the wine industry as this kind of very exclusive terroir-driven type of industry. But if you look at the global wine market, most wines are very kind of table drinking wines, not a lot more about consistency than terroir and individuality. So they, but most wine industries in South Africa included kind of function on those higher volumes, entry-level wines. I think the newest figures from Vendro are that about, I think, 72 or 73% of the South African wines sold, uh, packaged wines, sell for under 50 rand a litre. And if you look at that, you kind of get another impression or you see the wine industry from a, from another side where mm. you see the importance of, although you're keeping these kinds of uh, wines and brands going, because ultimately they are the ones that enable the the more super premium wines to be made. Okay. So it is, yeah. it's, a, it's interesting. And those are the kind of things that interest me, how the system functions and that kind of delicate balancing act you have to, they have to have but now it's are we not as the consumer to um sort of in, ignorant about the whole process of winemaking because if you think how much goes into the process and uh and the people involved and the whole you know the vineyard is not just 
you plant it today and in, in, in a few months' time you have uh, a harvest. So do you think the wine or the public should be more be made aware or educated uh, about uh, that wine is really an um, a specific art form you know that it's that it's the whole process and it's not just a very instant thing i think there's definitely a, a lack of that con consumer education on that part about what it takes to to produce wine and get it into bottle uh, there's a lot of work for us as a wine industry in general and South Af especially the South African wine industry to be done on that that front. So like I said, a lot of our wines are sold for very cheap, even considering the cheap wines from other countries. And our own South African consumer education on those on those fields. So you also have, do you have, uh, uh, because I saw you on LinkedIn and, and I saw, do you have uh, your own wine uh, label or, or uh, something that yes. you make? Mm -hmm. Um it's uh, quite new so I'm I'm launching my my wines now being being labeled so I I kind of went for lesser known uh wines I have a, a very big passion for uh locally bred uh grape cultivars mm -hmm. Uh, South Africa, everybody knows Pinotage, but we have seven local cultivars that were bred especially for the South African conditions. And with the the change in in climate, the the producers are starting to look a lot more at alternative uh, cultivars from which they can make wine. And I feel very strongly that instead of looking at Portugal or Southern Italy or Greece that are known for producing quality, warmer weather wines. We have these cultivars that are tested and proven in the South African market. And we are going to have just as much trouble trying to convince a consumer to buy a Verdejo white wine than trying to get them to sell or to buy a, a, a Chanel, for example, which is South African cultivar. But the difference is we already know that Chanel performs very well in South Africa. It And it gives us a uniqueness that is not a market where we are the producers, as we have seen with Pinotage and what it can do for the South African wine industry, where if we take some of these other cultivars, we will always be competing against wines from the native lands. So do you have your own vineyards or do you, you uh, are you like independent, you buy from other vineyards? Um, I'm independent, so I buy from, from other vineyards. It's especially hard uh, sourcing these kind of lesser known cultivars because a lot of them are older and in more obscure places to get them. 
So you have a very specific brand then that you that you are developing. Yes. Yeah. I, I kind of uh, for a long time I tried to get the, the bigger guys and where I work to kind of give these wines a chance. And then now when I had the chance of my own to make my own wines, I it kind of hit me that now I have the chance to do that. And nobody else is gonna gonna do it if if I'm not gonna gonna kind of lead it. Yeah. Everybody's always a bit, a bit afraid to take a chance on on this. And I decided that if I if I feel so strongly about it, it I, I have to take the lead. You kind of have to kind of walk the talk that you it doesn't help that I tell people to to do this if I'm not prepared to do it myself. Yeah. So in in the process of you making the wines, do you have um so you have a specific idea. This is what the wines should taste like or or um what you want to produce. But um how is it when you have different vineyards that you have to buy from, is it always possible to have that control or do you have to have a lot of creativity to do that? Yes, it's a lot of creativity and trust between me and the producer because I'm not trying something new. And usually these vineyards weren't used for premium production of wine. So getting them to look at their vineyards differently. And then also it's a bit of uncharted territory because if you are making a Cabernet, there's a very set kind of profile that you are aiming for. Everybody knows how carbonate tastes. There might be different styles, but you're always falling into one of those styles. We're working with these cultivars. You really don't know how they are going to behave. So you can try and what you think might be a style that works well with them. But ultimately, it is a, it is a learning process. And it can take long if you look at the pinotage when I think we started in the 1970s producing it commercially and it really the first highly rated pinotages only came out early 1990s and we are only now seeing a development of different styles of of pinotages where we are finding that there isn't only one way to make make pinotage in this the kind of styles are developing a bit more and being outlined a bit better so it's very exciting because you can kind of set the tone of what you think is best for the wine because nobody else does it so there's no set style um but on the other hand it is it's quite daunting kind of going in blind sometimes yeah but I find also in in winemaking, um, it's not just the the wine that's the the part that you are creative and and uh, sort of experimental, but also with the labels. Um, it, I, I'm always very intrigued about the the wine labels. So have you um, decided on your labels, or you have labels already? Yes, um, I'm working with an artist, uh, David Griesel, who works out of Bloemfontein, a very talented, talented artist. And he has a very unique style that speaks to me 
a very whimsical but with a, a bit of a twist okay and so yeah we are so I'm, I'm working with him and using some of his artwork as as labels and i think it kind of fits in a bit of, very well with with the kind of exploring the unknown so what is your wine label called uh, it's called o water which is a, a play on words on of our our family farm where I I, I grew up. So it I, I think it works very well as a as a wine wine label also. Yeah. So it's actually a a cattle farm. And but yeah, I think it, it translates quite well to the, the wine. Yeah. Wine. And it's a very typical South African word, so um, so it's it's very authentic to South Africa. Yes, you kind of want that authenticity. Mm. You don't really want it. I I don't like the pretentiousness that much. It sometimes goes along with the wine industry. Ultimately, we are still in the agricultural industry. It's still just farmers. <laughs> Yeah, their houses might look a bit different than a cattle farmer's or a maize farmer's house, and they, they might have been doing it a bit longer, but mm -hmm. they're still farmers and they struggle with the same issues that the rest of the agricultural industry struggles with. And as soon as you kind of look past the the tasting room area, you really just see another another farm. Yeah. But now, um, Pietri, tell me what uh, what is the wish now for you for the future for your wine? Uh, so my wish is for these kind of indigenous cultivars to grow and become known and appreciated in in South, not just South Africa but worldwide to show what potential they have and we in South Africa have. And I think there are a great chance for us to also address some of the the climate issues that we are facing. Because like I said, a lot of them were bred for especially the warmer areas years ago with the kind of Robertson Breeder Valley areas. And now Sunbosch getting warmer, the producers that I'm working with in the Sunbosch area is starting to see very good results on these these cultivars. I spoke to Etienne Nietling, who is a, a viticulturist um, in France, and he actually mentioned that the um, Europe will be looking at South Africa now because of global warming, um, how they are making wines because of the climate change. Yes, I think... Uh, we we sometimes on a lot of fronts kind of underestimate ourselves uh, we do know how to go far with very little and on that front i think especially the warmer i know it's just not not just the the wine industry but also the horticultural industry our citrus and our uh, apples are also our practices are world renowned for being able to produce these so-called colder climate 
fruits in a warmer climate. And we have learned, I, th I think, through a lot of trial and error, how to mitigate these kind of heat and drought factors. And you can see it in our, our wines. We are directly competing with uh, areas that are much cooler than us. And we are able to still make wines that are elegant and smooth and able to last many, many years. It isn't just this kind of oversaturated alcoholic jammy wines that are produced. I've tasted incredible wines out of the Orange River, which you wouldn't never suspect it's an area that's as a well above 40 degrees centigrade in the summer weather tell me now your wine can we buy it yet or is it possible is it on the shelves already um not yet the first one will be launched uh first of april okay it's uh the first one will be launched and then the the range will be extended with a red wine hopefully by end of the year okay. it's a it's still so it's a aging. brand new yes very very okay. very new it took me quite a while like i said the sourcing took a lot of time to actually mm. find these these cultivars because we are down some of some of them are in the low teens of hectares left in south africa uh, so just finding a producer that vineyards mm -hmm. aren't too neglected that still have potential is is quite hard and then of course the, the negotiations around the, the sourcing and the price and all of that stuff also comes into play well Pietri, i'm very excited now that that's uh that i know about this wine now before it's even launched <laughs> yes it's uh, for me also very excited exciting these uh people that are willing to take a chance on these kind of wines i know stanbos vineyards took a chance on a Tarona that's doing incredibly well. Such a nice wine. And then a Springfontein has also now launched a, a Chanel. Mm -hmm. So they are the, the, the new uniquely South African white cultivar. So that's a very exciting thing for me to see these slowly but surely these wines are gaining traction. Like I said, we still have a very long way to go. I think but for me, I have a very strong belief that our South African wine industry's future does lie in looking inwards in, into what we have and we do well, instead of trying to to copy what other guys are doing. Because if you try and emulate, then no matter how many will attest to this, no matter what points you score or medals you win, or what the wine writers say, you will always be compared to a Bordeaux. Yeah. Because that is where it should be originated. So they are always the benchmark. So we have to set our own benchmarks. We have to do unique wines and wine styles that we are able to produce the best in the world of. Mm -hmm. And we have already proven we can do that with Pinotage and also now with Chenin Blanc, which is not a, a, a native cultivar. It's a, South Africa, South Africa, but we have really took that and made it our own. And South Africa now produces by far the best Chenin Blancs in the world. 
Yeah, that's true. And I think the consumer also have to um, approach wine differently. You know, that it's... Uh, that you that we appreciate where it comes from and and that we understand more about what we are drinking um and the process yes. behind it there's a lot of comment i think about millenn millennial consumers uh, in the media but for for me from wine industry perspective they have the greatest potential to help us grow i think especially in south africa because of the changing uh consumption patterns of younger people where you can see worldwide the the volume of alcohol consumption going down where people are consuming less wine but when they drink wine they want something special and unique and they are willing to pay for that yeah so it's not catering to the person that opens a bottle of wine each evening with their meal, but being able to attract those customers that are willing to pay, pay the price of five bottles of wine to drink a nice, unique wine once a week, perhaps. Yeah, no, that's true. But Petri, it was so lovely to talk to you and it's so beautiful where you are. It's so cold here <laughs> in Vienna and the sun is shining there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, so you're based in, in Vienna. In Vienna, Vienna. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yes, yeah, so I'm going uh, for a, a research exchange in the harvest. I'm going to uh the Czech Republic. Yeah. So I'm flying in through through Vienna. So Oh, okay. Oh, but you have to let me know when you're here. Yes, I'll definitely do that. I'm I'm gonna look at the development uh, of the Czech wine industry versus the African wine industry, very parallel developments, but a lot of different decisions were made that kind of 25, 30 years, because they will also come from a nationalized kind of bulk focused industry, how they ended up and how we ended up and just kind of seeing what internal and out external pressures and influences they were that led to the decisions being made that kind of drove these two wine industries in quite different directions amazing oh that's very interesting um yeah maybe i should find a few winemakers in the czech republic to speak to as well that would be interesting yes I, yeah. they are yeah they're very interesting people and how they approached when they were deregulated, their whole situation differed completely from other stuff. And they were very also quite the leaders on the organic oh, uh, okay. farming and mm. winemaking field. I think where we are only starting to develop that that a bit more from mm. the South African industry. Okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Well, have much success and and um, with your trip and also with your wine. I would be very interested to to taste your wine. Um, when Thank I'm in you. South Africa again, I'm going to try and find it. Um, <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Petri, have a wonderful day. Thank you, you and too. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, thank you for having me. Yeah. It was lovely. Bye.